you are listening to Law and Gospels Rumination Tuesday, November the 17th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be having with us, of course, Mark Smith as we take a look at a hymn. And the hymn was written by Thomas Kelly. He was born in 1769 in County Queens, Ireland. And he's often considered the Irish equivalent of England's Isaac Watts. He did more than 750 hymns. But early in his life, he turned to the legalistic teachings of William Romaine. And what followed was an overwhelming personal consciousness of sin and the practice of extreme life-threatening asceticism. He eventually was freed of that personal guilt when he came to understand the doctrine of justification by faith and then was ordained in the Church of Ireland in 1792. And he was a staunch supporter of the evangelical movement that, of course, Luther had really begun. And his sermons were well-received, drawing crowds to Dublin. But he was a nonconformist and a dissenter, formerly left the established church, and began preaching on the streets of Dublin, and in 1802 formed an independent sect known as the Kellyites. He suffered a stroke while preaching in Dublin and died on May 14, 1855. We're going to be looking at the hymn, The Head That Once Was Crowned With Thorns, but three other of his hymns appear in our hymnal, we sing the praise of him who died, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, and look ye saints, the sight is glorious. Now, the tune of the hymn was written by Jeremiah Clark, who was born in 1674, and his first mention is as a boy soprano in the chapel royal serving King James II, in 1685. Five years later, he was the organist at Winchester College. Unfortunately, though, he died of an apparently self-afflicted bullet wound in London, December the 1st, 1707, ostensibly while depressed in the wake of an ill-fated love affair. A lot of people know his wonderful short movement. It was originally entitled The Prince of Denmark's March, but it is also entitled The Trumpet Voluntary that is used as a wedding processional. And this particular tune is called Magnus, and he did another tune called St. Luke's. So, that kind of gives a little background of this hymn, and we're going to now have Pastor Smith join us. Uh, are you aware of this hymn that much? Yeah, it's uh, Tom. This hymn was not not only in our current hymnal Lutheran service book, but is also in the the old Lutheran hymnal as well. And it's in both hymnals. 
It's the only hymn that uses the tune St. Magnus. The reason why I know that I was I was looking up I was looking for other hymns that might help me with the the melody a little bit, and uh, I found that it's the only one in the whole hymnal that uses really? that uh, tune Saint Magnus. Yes, yes. So it's uh, we're still unable to uh, get going here uh, because we're not having the tune being able to be played. And neither of us can hum it. I, I told my wife, uh, he done the volunteer, and she began singing it right away <laughs> for the wedding because it was used at my daughter's wedding. Oh, uh-huh. St. Magnus? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, it must uh, be a good one. Well, no, 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 not St. Magnus. The trumpet voluntary. Oh, the trumpet voluntary, uh, yes. King Denmark's uh, march, yes. Yes. So taking a look then at this hymn, it uh, obviously uh, was written on the basis of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, but right. there are a lot of verses in it. Um, it's often used on the Feast of the Ascension, and it is the first verse is primarily from another work, uh, a lengthy poem by John Bunyan entitled, uh -huh. One Thing is Needful. So why don't we begin with you talking about uh, or giving us the first stanza. The first stanza. The head once crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. A royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. That's, of course, talking, it's talking about our Lord Jesus, who is now ascended. And uh, he once wore the crown of thorns, but now he... Now he wears the royal di diadem. He's he's in all his glory. You know, there was somebody who recognized his glory while he was even wearing the crown of thorns. Do you know who oh, I'm talking about? I imagine the the, the malefactor, the the thief that Excellent. hung next to him on the cross. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he said, remember, "Lord, remember me when you come into yeah, remember me when you come into your kingdom." And I remember, I believe it was Augustine who did a poem on that, asking the thief, where do you see a crown but a crown of thorns? Where do you see a red robe but the blood all over him? Where do you see an altar except the cross to which he is affixed? And that's what faith does. It changes your perspective on what you are looking at. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, a lot of people don't understand when we talk about the cross being a cross of glory. Uh, uh, you know, they think of it being drenched with blood. It's a Roman cross, rugged wood, uh, an instrument of execution. And uh, uh, but but for us Christians, you, we actually we actually wear it, make a jewel out of it and wear it around our necks. I mean, it's uh, the pastor wears a pectoral cross with his robes it's it's turned to it's turned into an item of glory for us what, what do you mean by pectoral cross pectoral cross is a, a cro cross that a pastor uh will wear around his neck with his uh with his vestments it's not a specific kind of cross though pectoral no. yeah no, they can take they can take different uh styles 
different yeah, that, material. That, so, um, in, in fact, when somebody says to me, how can you think that that is a glorious crucifixion? I ask them this simple question. Uh, by the way, what is that day called? Good Friday. Yes. Excellent. It's the centerpiece uh, of it's the centerpiece of all history. It's 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 the day of the the redemption of the entire world. That's what that's what makes it such a thing of glory. Even though it's an instrument of uh execution, it's the most important thing in history was uh was the, the crucifixion and redemption of all mankind. And of course, uh also important with that is the resurrection, of course, our Lord's resurrection. This afternoon on Issues Etc., the Sunday School lesson is the Passover. And what we're going to be doing is connecting the Passover in Egypt to the Passover that is found in Christ's cross. Right. So really close. Right. All oh, right. yeah. I'll okay. read stanza two. The highest place that heaven affords is his, is his by right, the King of kings and Lord of lords and heaven's eternal light. Now, if you're talking to your children and going over this hymn, how would you explain the highest place that heaven affords? Well, this explains why it's used often on Ascension Day, uh, this hymn. Uh, because now he's at the right hand of the Father. Um, he's ascended to heaven's high right. court. And uh, the King of Kings, he's now King of Kings, Lord of Lords, heaven's eternal light. Yeah, you can't get higher than being the right hand of God the Father. Right. We have We have our dearest friend in the highest place possible. He's at the and helm of the universe. In contrast to the devil, who is a prosecuting attorney, Jesus becomes our defense attorney. Right. Our advocate and our dearest friend. Yeah, it's an savior. interesting defense. It's like you go to court and you're accused of, saying robbing a bank. But then the defense attorney says, no, this individual has been in jail for your crime. So the judge says, oh, okay, then you don't need to go to jail. Yeah. See, it's yeah. really an odd thing about Christianity. It really makes no sense. Right. We, we're Not, guilty. We're, we're, yes. we're, you know, uh, like the other, what's that other hymn? Would he, would he devote his sacred head to such a worm as I? You know, we're, we're, exactly. we're the guiltiest thing even Paul thought he was uh, terribly guilty, and yet, and yet uh, uh, Christ has taken all of our sins upon himself and, uh, and of course, in exchange gives us his robe of righteousness, his righteousness. And because of that, we now come to the Father. Good point. I've been saying this for a few weeks here now that the job of the pastor is not to explain God, but to reveal God. Because when we reveal how God thinks and what he does, a lot of it does not make sense to us, uh, particularly 
the death of his own son for us. That just doesn't happen in real life. There are times when you could be arrested for like speeding and somebody else can pay the ticket. But when it becomes a more greater offense, nobody else can spend the time in jail in your place. But Jesus spends the time in hell in yeah. our place. You know, that's what that's what a lot of people don't realize. He actually suffered the very pangs of hell as he hung on that cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He actually suffered hell itself as he hung on that cross. It wasn't just the blood. It wasn't just the shortness of breath. It wasn't just the terrible pain and agony, but hell itself for us. And when you realize how close the Father and the Son were prior to the crucifixion, you can understand why it was very hard for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to contemplate what he was about to undergo. As you said, it wasn't just the suffering of the cross. Uh, many individuals had endured that, but it was a separation from the Father. Yeah, in fact, it says that he, was, he, was, he himself says, I, I'm extremely sorrowful unto death. Well, that's what we, that's what we think he was pondering, is this terrible, this terrible separation that he would know the next day as he suffered upon that cross, terrible separation with his own dear Heavenly Father. Just uh, that, That's what hell is. And he was separated so that you and I will never be separated. Exactly. Stanza three, please. Yeah, now this next, I got a question for you in this next verse. The, the joy of all who dwell above, the joy of all below, to whom he manifests his love and grants his name to know. No, that's not the reverse I have in mind, but uh, that's the third verse I just read. Oh, that's not where verse, you have a question? The next verse I have a question for you. Well, we're not at that yet. Right. Is the joy of those above the same as the joy of those below? Uh, well, the joy of those above, that's all. The, that's the saints in heaven. Yes. It's, uh, it, it shows the whole, the communion of saints. We've got the church militant here on earth that is still contending with, uh, you know, the world, the devil, and our own sinful flesh. And then you've got the joy of those above that are, they're in, they're in bliss. And yes. so, uh, but we both, we both have joy, uh, in Christ. We, uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven and where the head is, there's the body also. And that means here's the verse I would use to describe, uh, the difference, the joy of those who dwell above, there is no grieving anymore. Right. Whereas the joy of all below, we do grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Good. Very good. So we're still in the world of tribulation, but the joy comes from the comfort that we receive from the cross. I, I think that's really an important point. So, by the way... We always talk about the distinction between historic faith and saving faith. Historic faith is just talking about the narratives of Scripture. Saving faith is talking about trust in the promises, which right. saves. 
This stanza three, the hymn actually moves from stanza one and two from gospel narrative to application. And the application is talking about what difference does one and two have for us. The difference is we now have joy. All right, stanza four. Okay, here we go. Here's here's maybe a difficult line. To them, the cross, with all its shame, with all its grace, is given. Their name, an everlasting name, their joy, the joy of heaven. It's it's talking about um, it's talking about Christians now, and to them, the cross, with all of its shame, and yet with all of its grace is given. Their name, an everlasting name, their joy, the joy of heaven. See, that's a little confusing. Uh, with all of question? its shame and yet with its grace. What do you think about that, Tom? How would you explain that uh, to kids? I would explain it using the Bible. To them the cross with all its shame. Where were all the disciples except for John hiding in an upper room. Then what happened that evening? Jesus appeared, and what was the first word he said to them? Peace be with you. With all its grace is given. Yeah. So when you look through natural eyes, boy, somebody dying on a cross, that sure seems totally ridiculous for God himself to endure. But then... The grace is even heard at the cross. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Those words of grace show that what he really meant is it is finished. Right. So that's how I would understand that difference. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, you know, when we think of it, it was our sins that nailed him to that cross. It was our sins that that impaled him on that cross. That's why he had to suffer. That's the shame. But the the good news, of course, is in in that in that act of redemption, all of us are we receive his righteousness. We're all redeemed by that, uh, that, that loving act. It's become an act of, of, of glory and, and love. Now, I'm not going to contradict you, but I would say something else, that it wasn't my sin that put him on the cross in the sense that that's why he's there. Right. It, it may be a cause of why he had to go to the cross, right. but the person who put him on the cross is none other than the Father. God the Father, that's right. Isaiah. He loved us that much. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is right. So it was God the Father who took his son to the cross and had him endure the punishment that should have been ours. Good point. I'll do five. They suffer with their Lord below... They reign with him above, their profit and their joy to know the mystery of his love. 
Now, here's a question I have for you in the third line. Their profit and their joy, who's that referring to? It's talking the ones about above the... or the ones below? Hmm. Well, I thought it was talking about both Christians on earth and Christians in heaven. Uh, their profit and their joy. Well, I don't know. Could it be uh, their profit? Could that be the uh, the saints in heaven? And I think the, it is. And then the joy belongs to us believers that, that cling to his promises of eternal life and salvation. Yeah, and, and that was already found in the previous verse. Yeah, they reign with him above their profit and their joy to know the mystery of his love. Yeah. That's actually quoting Philippians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians verse 1. Because it's pointing, even to those on earth, it's pointing their eyes heavenward to the eternal joys of paradise. And so, in, in that sense, both are included. All right. Last stanza. The cross he bore is life and health, though shame and death to him. His people's hope, his people's wealth, their everlasting theme. Yes. Now, notice where the shame and death, it's not the shame the disciples had, but the shame that Jesus had. Right. In fact, I'll, yeah. I'll give you an example how even Christians don't understand the full shame. Because every crucifixion I've seen, painting or statue, etc., Jesus is often clothed, whereas yes. in reality he was naked. Yeah, in fact, in fact, it was against Roman law to execute a Roman citizen on the cross. That was for that was for uh, not only criminals, but it was considered such a an, a an execution of shame that you could. It was against it was against their rules to uh, execute a Roman citizen that way. And you're right. It was uh, humiliating. You were disrobed, you know, exposed to the elements. If you got sick to your stomach on the cross, well, you can imagine what that brought on. You'd draw the flies. The flies would—I uh, mean, people don't realize how terrible, uh, terrible death it was. Um, and the cross wasn't as tall as most people think. Um, it was only a few feet off the ground, maybe five feet. And it wasn't unusual that at the death of a person on the cross, they would just let him stay there and he would be eaten by dogs. Yeah. Or, or, or hang there for days, perhaps. Yes, exactly. And that's why we can thank, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who went to Pontius Pilate and asked to take the Lord down from the cross, and they were given that right to do, which often didn't happen. Yeah, all for us. Yes, and that's why if there's one thing I listen to politicians today, they're always talking about if you vote for me, then you will have your hope restored. 
And yeah. I tell you, the temporal hope is nothing compared oh, to the spiritual hope. Oh, I know. Yeah. Notice at the end there, it's his people's hope, his people's wealth is found on the cross. Yeah. That's why we always say, look to the cross for your answers to any of your questions. It really is the centerpiece of all history. I mean, yes. I mean that it is really the most important. Good Friday is really the most important day, and and of course you can't separate that from the resurrection itself, which is so important. But uh, you know that, that all of our, our our salvation, our eternal destiny, all rests on that all important work of His cross. Exactly. So, the head that once was crowned with thorns, um, I'll be using that. It's kind of interesting that that's a good hymn for the last Sunday of the church year. Right. All right. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll continue our study of C.F.W. Walther's Law and Gospel with another of his evening lectures. We're getting closer and closer to the end of those evening lectures. And so join with us. We thank you for listening to myself, Tom Baker, and also to Mark Smith. Till tomorrow, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.